Would you please stand with me and take your Bible and turn to the Gospel of Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. And our text is going to be in verses 1 to 11. This is not an unfamiliar portion of Scripture to anyone who's been a Christian for any amount of time. But the Bible is like good food. Amen? Nothing wrong with having it again every now and then. And so Luke chapter 5 and verses 1 to 11. You might have in your Bible the miracle of the fish or the miracle of the catch of fish, something along those lines. But the text really is not about the fish. It's about the Lord and his work in a person's life. And we pray that's what happens today as well. Let's go to the Lord in, in prayer. Our Father in heaven, in a few minutes we are going to go through this text. and We're going to uh, try to draw out from it the truths that I believe you've given me to give to this church. Lord, I know that, that cannot be done apart from you, so we ask for your help. I pray that your spirit would not only guide my mind and guide my tongue, I also pray he would open hearts. I pray that he would uh, comfort and convict. I pray that he would edify, and I pray, Lord, that he would have his way among the hearts of these people. I pray, Lord, that you would help us be quick to give you the praise for what you will do. I thank you for the song service that we've been able to be part of and the, the songs we sang to you and about our Lord. Uh, what a blessing. I pray that you'd allow the Spirit to continue through the preaching of this text. I pray, Father, that you would give me the grace I need to exalt Jesus Christ to where he deserves to be exalted, that you would give these folks the grace they need to listen not to a word of man, but as it will be in truth, your word. Father, I want to thank you again for Pastor Weiss and for his friendship, for the leadership you've given him for this meeting, and I pray that you would allow me and all of us that will be participating to live up to the expectation that we've given to you through prayer. We ask these things believing, and in Jesus' name, amen. The Bible says in Luke chapter 5, verse 1, and it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret, and saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draft. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word I will let down the net. And when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes, and their net brake, and they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships, so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord." For he was astonished, and all that were with him at the draft of the fishes which they had taken. And so was also James and John the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to the land, they forsook all and followed him. Thank you. You may be seated. May I move this? Okay. Okay. I don't want to break anything. As I said in the introduction, this is not about fish. 
this text is about Jesus, if I could paraphrase A.W. Tozer, the most important thing about you is what comes to your mind when you think about Jesus Christ. A high view of God and His Son and His Spirit will lead to the exaltation, the lifting up of His person, His name, and His word. But it is also true that a low view of God leads one to pull Him down to our level. Beloved, it is true Jesus is our friend, but He is not our peer. He is Lord, and He deserves to be worshipped, reverenced, and obeyed as Lord. The Bible says in Psalm 89, verse 7, that speaks to churches like ours, that God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints, and to be had in reverence of all them that are about Him. Simon is a man in our text that this is really a focal point on, who is like many people today. He knows Jesus. He's been introduced to him already. His brother Andrew, a disciple of John, has met Jesus. He's heard the declaration, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. He's brought Simon to Jesus. Jesus has given in John 1, Peter or Simon, a name, Peter. You'll be known as Cephas or Peter. And so he knows Jesus. He's familiar with him. Uh, depending on where you believe the chronology of this falls, that it's likely that Jesus has already met his mother-in-law and healed her. But here at this time in Luke chapter 5, in this text, the disciples know Jesus. I, I would say that they have been converted. They believe that Jesus is who he is. But it's convenient because Jesus' ministry right at this point is in Galilee. And so Jesus is around, if we could say it like that. And there really isn't a need to leave everything and to follow Jesus because, well, he's accessible. He's convenient. But Jesus is going to do something in our text today that is going to call for greater fellowship, if we could say it that way. A more committed life to follow Jesus. One of the things I love about our country is the freedom of religion. One of the things I don't like about our country is the freedom of religion. There is a familiarity and an accessibility to things that are so wonderful that God has given us, that His Word and Jesus and truth, but these things have become so common. And even in churches like ours, if we're not careful, we will settle into a familiarity with Christ instead of a reverence and a desire to obey Him in all and everything. And so I believe in our text this morning, we see a, a, really an example that could be for churches like ours, that... God is calling us, the Lord is calling us to greater service. Now, it doesn't mean you have to be an apostle. It doesn't mean that you have to leave your home, leave your job, and go to a foreign field. But maybe this morning, by forsaking all and following Jesus, it just means being the husband that God calls you to be. That being the wife that God wants you to be. Being the church member that God wants you to be on a daily, consistent basis. There's something for us here this morning, and I believe that Simon, while familiar with the Lord and respectful of the Lord, he gives him reverence by calling him master or sir. But something changes for Simon in our text. And it's in verse 10, and it's these words. I'd like you to, to see this in verse 10. Jesus is speaking to Simon, and he says, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. From henceforth. 
That's just a really fancy way of saying, from now on. You know what would be good for us today? Is if the Lord would work in our lives and we would make some decisions today, even this morning, where we could look back in a month or two months or in two years and saying, that was the day the Lord dealt with my heart and said, listen, from now on, you're going to do this. From now on, draw a line. It's happened before for God's people. Moses knows about this. Joshua knows about this. Choose you this day whom you will serve. I call heaven and earth to record against you this day. Sometimes there are days God brings into our lives. He speaks to our hearts. And we can draw a line and say from now moving forward, I'm going to live this way. I'm going to do this. And by God's grace, I pray that is the case for many today. I know you're well taught. I'm not going to say anything that you don't know already. But I pray that your, your pure hearts are stirred up by way of remembrance. And that that stirring up does remind you of what the Lord has done for you. And moves you to serve him in a greater way. From henceforth thou shalt catch men. From now on the Lord had something for Peter. There are three things I want to bring out of the text today for you. Number one, the priority of Jesus. Secondly, the power of Jesus. And we'll spend most of our time there looking at the power of Jesus. And then lastly, we'll see the preeminence of Jesus. And also I want to give you the gospel at the end as well. So first of all, let's look at the priority of Jesus. The Bible says here in Luke chapter 5 in our text in verses 1 to 3 that the priority we see here, before we get to the bulk of this story, the account that the Holy Spirit moves Luke to record, he wants us to know that Jesus taught these people. But what did they come to hear? Verse 1 tells us what they came to hear. They came to hear the word of God. Now, when we hear that phrase, word of God, we almost say it like it's one word, the word of God. And we think about our Bibles that we hold in our laps, and that's not a bad way to describe the Bible that's in your lap. Anytime you hear someone say, the scriptures say, it's exactly like saying God says. And so we're grateful for the word of God. But that's not what this means here. It doesn't mean they didn't look at it like Jesus had a backpack with all the Hebrew scriptures in it, and they wanted to hear the scriptures read. No, they wanted to hear, and literally what it means is they wanted to hear the word from God. Now, in this book, chapter 3 and chapter 4, you don't have to turn there, you can look it up later, the phrase word of God is found, but Luke uses a different word. He uses the word krema, which means like an utterance or a, a conversation, something said. So, uh, for instance, the word of God came to John, all right? And uh, man, Jesus says in Luke chapter 4, man shall not live by bread alone, but by uh, every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, so that the word of God there, so that, that, that is true, God does speak. But in this text, this is the first time Luke uses the word logos, or logos, depending on who you're talking to, or logos, depending on who you're talking to. But we'll go with logos because I'm the one preaching, all right? And this word is very specific, but it's also a great word. It's the word John uses in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. There, that is, the word is a great title for Jesus because the word logos means communication. And Jesus is literally God communicated to man. If it wasn't for Jesus, we would not know God the way that we do. He is, and him is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And God communicates to man. Praise God, he's communicated to us through the written word. Praise God, he's communicated to man through creation. Praise the Lord for that. But praise the Lord that God 
became flesh and dwelt among us. That the word became flesh, God communicated to man. And so when you see this, this is a verse that speaks of the deity of Jesus Christ. When they heard Jesus talk, as sure as you open up your Bible and can say, thus saith the Lord, when Jesus opened his mouth, they could say, hear the word of God. This is what they want to hear. They want to hear the word of God, and Jesus gave it to them. Now, there's a great crowd here, and the, the, he doesn't ch try to change the message. He teaches them, the Bible says, in verse 3. He sat down and taught the people out of the ship. And I just want to say, quickly, our churches in our country, we, 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 God, the Lord's churches, we need to really get this down in our hearts and minds, the importance of the word of God, the importance of God's word and making sure we give that. I don't want to spend that any more time on that. But the people knew what to expect. They wanted the word from God. They wanted communication from God. And they got that through Jesus Christ. And the Bible says in verse 3, he sat down and taught the people. This is a common thing that they did. I know you're familiar with this likely. Even today in religious institutions, uh, excuse me, in educational institutions, universities, colleges, you'll have someone called the chair. The, the, the chair is an administrative professor. Um, and that was a, a seated position was a way that they would teach. And later on in the text, when Peter falls at Jesus' knees, you say, well, that's an odd way. Why wouldn't it say he falls at his feet? Well, because Jesus was sitting down. So he fell at his knees. And so Jesus is sitting down and he's teaching. But I want you to notice that the Holy Spirit puts it in the text first. And I believe that helps us understand the priority of the word of God, the priority of teaching the word of God. We know what Jesus taught because of what Mark tells us. Jesus taught repent and believe the gospel. Jesus wasn't just quoting Hebrew scriptures. He was expounding on Hebrew scriptures. He was uh, not only there to, uh, um, uh, he wasn't there to destroy the law, but to fulfill the law. But then he added the good news, amen? He added the, what we call the gospel, and he began to preach, repent, and believe the gospel. And so this crowd is hearing this. But who else is hearing this are the ones who are in the boat with him. They're hearing Jesus teach. They're hearing him give the word of God. And that leads us to not only the priority of Jesus, which is to do the will of the Father, and it is the word of God. It is, it is the teaching people the truth. And let me just say before we move on, there are two kinds of people in this world. And, and, and they, the, a bunch of different kinds of people fall in these two categories. There are those that believe the devil's lies, and there are those that believe the truth. And the truth comes from God. The, the, Jesus will say in John 17 that he desires that we be sanctified by God, but he asks that the Father sanctify us through truth, and he says that his word is truth. And so a church that is to be the pillar and ground of truth needs a really close relationship to the scriptures, amen, to the word of God. And so this is, this is a priority. But, but secondly and mainly today, I want us to look at the power of Jesus, and that begins in verse 4. Now, the Bible says, now when he had left speaking... Now, Jesus is finished speaking, but he is not done teaching. There's still something Jesus is working on with these men. I just want to quickly, before we go into the power, I want to draw your attention as this in verse 4. He left speaking. He's all done teaching. I want, to, I want you to notice something in verse 3. I love this. Because our Lord has power and authority. Would you agree with that? Uh, he is creator of everything. We'll see that toward the end of the message. Jesus has power. He has authority. But look what he does in verse 3. He entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him. That means this, he asked him. Isn't that beautiful? 
if anyone could have commanded and said what to do, it would be Jesus. And I, I only bring that out because when I, when I see things like this in scriptures, it reminds me that Jesus is the one who I'm supposed to be like as a Christian. And sometimes we make being a Christian a lot harder than it really is. Do you know that one of the best things you could do to be a Christian, to be like the Lord, this is deep, is to be polite. Jesus didn't have to, have to ask. He's the Lord. But he did. He asked Peter to use his boat. I think that's beautiful. I think it's lovely. And I think that a way we could reflect our Lord is to have good manners, is to be a gentleman or to be a, a, to be a lady. Uh, I could tell you about a church um, who I just recently was made aware of this. This family came back to the church. Do you know why they came back to the church? Because of the strong stance on the deity of Christ. It wasn't that, although they have that. It wasn't their ecclesiology. You know what it was? The people were friendly. That's what brought them back to the church. And the wife ended up coming to Christ about six months after they started coming. And you know what it was? At first, it wasn't doctrine. It was how nice people were. And I just thought, like, uh, what, a, what a great place for people to be friendly, amen? The church. As uh, one man would say, I said, what a novel idea, amen? Anyway, we ought not look put out in the Lord's house. Amen? This ought to be one of the, the easiest places to be happy. But anyway, the Lord was kind. He showed manners. And again, one of the easiest ways to be like the Lord is, is to be kind and show manners. So he, he's finished speaking, but he's not done teaching. He knows what he's going to do for Simon's sake, but also for others. And what he says to Simon in verse 4 is this, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draft. The Lord knows what he's going to do with the fish. But you can't do with the fish in the shallow water, so you got to get out into the deep. Isn't that really like deep stuff right there? I mean, aren't you glad you came to church? I came here to learn you got to fish in deep water to get fish? Well, the point is this, and I don't think I'm extrapolating this. What the Lord has for you is tied to where you have to do it. The Lord knew what he wanted to do, but he had to get them to the place where they could do it. Now, there are many things in our lives that we want the Lord to do in our life. We know what we want God to do. But the reality is this, is that accomplishing what Christ wants you to do is often preceded by moving to where he wants you to do it. Or the only place that you can do it. And so you say, well, is this a geographic lesson? It's not necessarily geographic, of course. I'm speaking mostly spiritually. For instance, you may know what the Lord, you want the Lord to do, but if you're not where you're supposed to be, in your Bible, close to the Lord, led by His Spirit, then you're not in a place for Him to do what He is supposed to do. And so the first thing Jesus says is, I want you to get to where you have to go so I can do with you what I want to do. And that's good for us to be uh, reminded of as well. I think one of the interesting things about our, our churches is we look at the world and we decry the, the sin and we decry the spirit. But there's a very simple reality, beloved. If we want the truth of God's word more noticed in the public square, then we have to go to the public square and then lift up God's word. Like, if it, we, we can't complain about 
God's word not being over there and then us not going over there. Albert Moeller, in a book about evangelism, said this, the greatest obstacle to evangelism is Christians who don't share the gospel. That's, that's the greatest obstacle. It's not CNN. It's not all the liberal media. It's not all the people out there. No, the greatest hindrance to me not evangelizing is me not evangelizing. And so there's a very, thing, a very important thing for us to remember as Christians is am I where I'm supposed to be? If the Lord is going to reveal his power in my life, if the Lord's going to do something in my life, am I where I'm supposed to be so the Lord can do this? So launch out into the deep. So where matters, but also not only what he wanted to do and where he needed to do it, but who he uses is important too. He says this to Simon. It's important that we remember this morning that Jesus' power displayed, Jesus' power displayed often is done through the obedience of his people. Jesus could do it by himself. He chooses to include us in his work. Isn't that amazing? The Lord knew what he was going to do, but he also knew he needed Peter to do it. Now, this is where Peter responds. He says to the Lord, Master, we have toiled all night and have taken nothing. Now, there's a spiritual truth here. Well, without Christ, we can do nothing. So that stands to reason. But Peter's a fisherman. He's caught fish before. I believe that the Lord intentionally had them catch nothing. He intentionally put them in a position where they knew we've already done this. We've, we've, we've had this already go. We, we, we've been here before. I know what it's like to catch fish. I'm a fisherman. That's what I do. You're a carpenter. You're a teacher. And you're telling me where to go catch fish. I'm just going to tell you, we've done it. It hasn't worked. But to Peter's credit... He said, at thy word, I will. And that's where the story changes for us today. And it'll change for you too. Because I think this is recorded not just to help us understand Peter's heart, but because many of us have been exactly where Peter has been, haven't we? And Peter's situation was very simple. The Lord wants us to go out and I'm in the same boat with the same men using the same net in the same place same water what's going to be different this time well peter says what's different the presence of christ and his word we've done this before but this time i'm dropping my net at your word now i don't want to make too much of this but this is going to be life-changing for us if we allow it to be because we have been where peter has been before Spouses know what this is like. I've gone through the same thing month after month, year after year, and nothing has changed. I have tried to be the wife I'm supposed to be. I've tried to be the husband I'm supposed to be. I've tried to be the dad. I've tried to be the mom. And nothing changes. It's accomplished nothing. How about that with church? We come into the same building. We sit in the same chair. We open up our same Bible. We sing the same songs, we hear the same man, and we say, nothing changed. But maybe, just maybe, things would change if our why we're doing it changes. In other words, I'm not doing it because that's what we do on Sundays. Today, I'm getting my family together, and I'm saying, today we're going to church because God tells us to go to church. The Lord says that, 
Churches ought not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. That's how important it is. And we get to go. I was at a hotel some years ago in Boston. And there was a group of people in the lobby. And they were excited. They had their cameras out. I asked what was going on. And they said, oh, there's Stanley Cup. Uh, some tournament was happening for hockey. And the team was staying at that hotel. And so people heard about it. And there were people there who couldn't believe that they were going to get a glimpse of some NHL hockey players. And I thought to myself, I know every time the Lord's people assemble together, Jesus promised me that he would be with us in our midst. I haven't been that happy that Jesus was going to show up in a long time. I was convicted by that. These people are more happy about sports figures. And yet God's people come into the service knowing Jesus said, I'm going to meet you there. I'm going to be there. And if we tell our children and our wives and our husbands, hey, here's why we're going today, because we need to hear from the Lord, and he's promised us he's, he, he's going to be there. And so, I know in the past I've attended revival services and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at this one, at thy word, I'm showing up. I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be there because the Lord wants me to be there. It's not just church every service husbands can, can be this way we come to church and paul says this about the church of thessalonica he says this that you know what stood out about them is that they listened to paul preach not as it was a word of man but as it was in truth the word of god i'm going to tell you you're going to get a whole lot more out of this week if you don't come expecting to hear josh Fryman preach but if you come expecting to hear god speak to your heart because that's what it will be in truth. I'm going to do my best to deliver the word of God. But that's the point. It's the word of God. It's not about personality. It's about God. Do you believe that though? Do you believe that if you come here and you sit and the word of God is opened. And the service has been prayed for. That God can speak to your heart and reveal things that you need to change. Are you praying, believing? Are you asking nothing wavering? We ought to be. We ought to be. Lord, I've done this before. But nevertheless... At your word, I'm going to do it. And that changed everything this time. Not only that, but in, in homes, husband says, I, 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 I've tried for my wife to change. But what about just committing to loving her like Christ loves the church because that's what God told you to do. God didn't tell you, and there's nothing wrong with buying flowers, there's nothing wrong with being nice, but if you're only being nice, if you're only trying to do things so that you can get something out of it, it's not the right reason. Peter didn't say, I'm going to drop my net so I can catch a great big load of fish. He said, I'm going to drop my net because you told me to. Wives are the same way. I've tried to submit to my husband. I've tried to do it, and nothing changes. Maybe do it because God wants you to do it. And there is a big difference between living with your husband as unto the Lord and living with your husband, period. And I'm talking to, to Christians, of course. Husbands, wives, fathers, children. There's, there's a lot of ways we could apply this. How about this one? We've knocked on the, these doors before. We've, done, we, we, we've gone out calling all summer. We got no feedback, no response. We've knocked on these doors. We've, we've covered this neighborhood. We've toiled all summer and taking nothing. But beloved, please hear me this morning. Faith in our effort is not the same as faith in Christ. Faith in my effort is not the same as having a Bible verse and believing that the one who gave it to me, the one who promised it, 
His character keeps his promises. I've seen it. I'm not, not that experience is not authoritative. I'm not up here to give you a bunch of illustrations. But I have seen it work. And I don't have to go back to the 1800s to tell you about it. God keeps his promises. God keeps his word. And what a blessing that Peter was able to see the power of Jesus on display using him. And all it took was simple obedience. I, I, I've done this before, but at, at thy word, I'll let down the net. This is what happens to the believer. I'm going to move through this quickly. The clock moves faster in Missouri than it does in North Dakota. This often happens with God's people. It happened with Moses. God had a desire to dwell among his people. And then he gave Moses blueprints and he gave him work to do. And you don't, we don't have time to look at it today, but you can look at it later. It's in Exodus chapter 40. It says the book closes. It says... So Moses finished the work. And right after Moses finishes the work, the glory of God falls. He comes down and God keeps his promise. Well, but first, God's people had to do what he told his people to do. It's the same way when Jesus turned water into wine in John chapter 2. We don't know how Jesus turned the water into wine, but we know when he turned water into wine. It was right in the middle of their obedience. Go get the water, fill it up, Bring it back, and somewhere Jesus did the miracle. The obedience was key. It's like that in John chapter 11, one of my favorite accounts in the Bible. The resurrection of Lazarus from the dead. Jesus shows up, and I'm not trying to be funny at all or be irreverent, but if, if Jesus can raise someone from the dead, that's, that's some pretty strong power. Would you agree with that? But do you know what he said to the people there? Roll away the stone. And... All of a sudden, he gets a response much like Peter's. Hey, Lord, we've done this before. We've taken nothing. Uh, Lord, hey, <laughs> roll away the stone. Listen, he's been dead four days, and he, he stinks. That's not, that's not going to be a pleasant experience. Roll away the stone. And then Lazarus comes out of the grave because Jesus called him out. Amen? Another message for another time. And Jesus says, remove his grave clothes. Now, you could scratch your head and say, hold on a second. If you can raise someone from the dead, how come you can't move a rock? Oh, no, Jesus can move a rock, but so could they. Jesus could remove the grave clothes, but so could they. And Jesus is saying to Peter, like he said to Moses and the servants with the water, and he's saying to us today, you worry about what you can do, and that's what I'll tell you. You take care of your business, and I'll take care of mine. Listen, we can't save sinners, but we can witness we can invite people to church. We can pass out a tract. You do what you can do. Let God do what only he can do. This is what he's teaching Peter. He's showing Peter something. If you will just do what I say, you watch what happens. Well, what happened was they almost sank. Because of the influx of fish, Jesus' power displayed wasn't just about the fish. It was on Simon Peter. His commitment of I will, at your word I will, led to his confession, I am. If we would have people today that would make some commitments, I will do this at God's word, I promise you it will help you understand who you are better. That's what happened with Peter. The Bible says that they, when they had this done, verse 6, when they had this done, and that's the point about obedience, when they obeyed what Jesus said to do, what happened? They enclosed a great multitude of fishes in their net break. Now, 
picture this, if you will, the scene where the net is breaking. They're trying to get, and I know there's a lot said about, well, Jesus told them to put nets down, and they only put one net down. But they still had fish enough where their boats were going to sink. I don't think they needed more fish. That wasn't the point of the story, amen? That wasn't the point of what Jesus was doing. Jesus was teaching them something about him. If you, if I'm here, if I'm present, and if you obey my word, then you watch what happens. And these fish are coming in. I want you to think about what that scene must have been like, all those fish coming into the boat. These guys must have been soaked with water. Just, I mean, they just are ecstatic. They can't believe it. They're laughing. Why would they be so happy? Because they're fishermen. If you owned a business as a commercial fisherman, you'd be happy too, amen? I mean, think of, think of is anybody here a business owner? Okay, All right. then you understand what this is like. The greatest day of their life, business-wise, has just taken place. They are going back to the shore with one of the greatest haul they have ever had. And people are happy, and they're, 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 no doubt they're laughing, they're high-fiving each other maybe, but not Peter. Peter realizes something more significant. He says here when verse 8, when P Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. He didn't want Jesus to get out of there because he didn't want Jesus around. What he's saying is, in light of what I've just witnessed and experienced, I know who you are, which makes me see who I am all the more clearly. If you want this week, to really know who you are, then study and look for Christ and his spirit and the Father. You cannot see God and then not see yourself the way you should. It happened to Daniel that way. It happened to Isaiah that way. That's why when you see these books, I went to heaven and I came back, don't believe that stuff. Because when you read the Bible, people that saw God for real, they didn't go on TV and be interviewed by uh, you know, the morning talk shows. They, they, they fell down and said, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a sinful man. They, they, they saw their true condition. It happened to Isaiah, it happened to Daniel. And beloved, I pray this week that's what happens to us. Is that we really see ourselves the way the Lord wants us to be seen. And so, Peter here, he's, he, he, he makes this confession with the Lord. And I believe that there's a truth here. Proverbs 16, verse 3 says, Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. If you want to know how to stay thinking right, if you haven't listened to Sunday School, I'd encourage you to do it. It's a great lesson that Pastor Weiss taught. If you want to know how to stay thinking right, stay doing right. Because if you commit your works unto the Lord, thy thoughts will be established. Keep doing right. Keep doing right, and the thinking will take care of itself. This is exactly what happened. We don't deserve to be able to serve Christ. Peter realized he didn't deserve to, uh, to be there. He understood who he was. He asked the Lord to depart from him. Why? He was astonished. This word means he was outside of himself. We use the phrase these days, we were beside ourselves. That's what this word means, astonished. He was beside himself, and all that were with him at the draft of the fishes which they had taken... And so also was James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, fear not. Why would he say that? Well, because Peter was fearful. Amen. Jesus wouldn't say anything just to say it. From henceforth thou shalt catch men. Now Peter realizes, okay, this wasn't about the fish. Jesus is trying to teach me something about the work that he wants for me to do. I, in my mind's eye, as we turn the fourth corner here, and we'll be, be done shortly 
I wonder if on the day of Pentecost, Peter didn't look back on this day. When he preaches and 3,000 people are saved and baptized, and there's debate about, well, how could you baptize 3,000 people? It's actually doable. If you want to know how, I'd be happy to talk to you later. We just don't have the time to do it now. But you have all these uh, men, and there's other people in the church there as well, and all these people that are desiring to show their public profession of faith in Christ by being baptized in immersion. And I imagine, I wonder if, if Peter, seeing all these people walking out with dripping wet, with just a big smile on their face, and thousands of them, if he didn't think back and say, oh yeah, I remember that day when in one day thousands of fish came into the boat and Jesus said, this is nothing. From now on, you're going to catch men. And I wonder if it didn't bring a smile to his face, thinking back, the Lord's keeping his word again. The Lord's doing it again. Beloved, this text is not about fish. It's about the Lord doing a work in an individual's life. And it's the same work that we have to do. Well, what does the work lead to? That's the last point. The preeminence of Christ. The preeminence of Jesus. In Colossians 1 verse 16, the Bible says that Christ is the head of the church. He's the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That in all things he might have the, and it's the only time in your New Testament this word is found, the preeminence. Now the truth is there. You can find it uh, in the root word, but proeuo is the Greek word, and it means preeminence, to be first, to be first. That means this, beloved, Jesus is not meant to have prominence in your life. He's one of the things among the many. No, no, no. He's preeminent. He's not one among. He is one above. He is the first. He is everything. He is preeminent. And I say preeminence because that's exactly what these men show the Lord. In verse 11, it says, when they had brought their ships to land, they what? Forsook all, and then what? Followed him. Now the timing of this couldn't be worse for a commercial fisherman because you just had the best day of your life, business-wise. So here's the question, beloved, as we go toward the end here. Why would they leave everything? The best day physically, financially, emotionally they've ever experienced and yet they turn their back on it why well the answer is simple it's because they found in Jesus Christ someone and something far more valuable than anything that this world could possibly offer the best day of their life they turn their back on it why because that's how much value they found in Jesus Christ you see, it wasn't just the person of Christ, although he is that, he is to be preeminent. But they also found a purpose. When Jesus said, you follow me and I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. You're going to become fishers of men. I'm going to train you. I'm going to teach you. You just follow me. You become my student. You become my, my mathetes. You become my disciple. And they said, I'd rather be his disciple. I'd rather be collapsing at the feet of Jesus than standing up in the business world. I'd rather be at his knees, at his feet, learning from him than being the most popular teacher among religion. I'd rather serve Christ than be a leader myself. They forsook all and followed him. Here's my challenge for you this morning. 
how is your following Christ going? If, 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 if the Lord could examine your heart and your life, could it be said of you honestly that she has forsaken everything to follow him? He has forsaken everything to follow him, to follow Jesus. Again, I'm not saying you have to quit your job. This is deeper than that. It started at salvation, did it not? Jesus, who as we just sang about, he lived the life you and I could never live. Isn't that wonderful? God sets the demands. Here's how I want you to love. Here's how I want you to forgive. Here's how I want you to live. And we fall short of it, way short of it. We fall short of that. Jesus comes down to this earth and lives the exact life that God wanted mankind to live. The question is, why did he die? Because the Bible says the wages of sin is what? Death. And if he didn't sin, he doesn't deserve to die. And God is a just God. So God would be unjust to condemn an innocent man to death. And we make a big deal about Christ's innocence. So why does an innocent man die? Well, Paul says it this way. God was not unjust to allow Christ to die. And the reason he was just is because he who knew no sin became sin for us. Legally, justly condemned to death because of us. Now, in light of that, what could possibly be too much for him to ask of us? I think this is probably why the Apostle Paul says in Romans 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. And by the way, it's a reasonable service. I mean, it just makes sense. It stands to reason that we would do anything we could for Christ because of what he's done for us. I don't know your situation here this morning, but I'll tell you this. If you don't have joy and peace in your life, you can in Christ. I was telling this to Pastor Weiss yesterday. I, loved, I love aviation. I love to fly. But the problem is I can't fly. I'm not built that way. I'm a rather rotund individual. So if I, if I decided to jump off a roof, I would hit the ground, probably a little harder than most people, but I just, I just I don't fly. But yet I flew here. How did that happen? Very simple. I entered into a vehicle that could fly. Makes sense, right? And when I entered in that vehicle and sat down, within 20 minutes, I was doing what I never could do on my own. I was above the clouds, 30,000 feet. It was amazing. It might be a silly illustration, but that's a, that is similar to what salvation is. You cannot live the life that God demands of you. There are all these religions out there that say, if you take this pilgrimage, if you give this offering, if you light these candles, if you count these beads, if you attend these services, if you do all these things, do, do, do. Listen, there's nothing we can do to make up for what we are by nature as sinners. We cannot live the life God wants us to live. But the beauty is, in Christ, I am able to do what I never could do on my own. I can love like I'm supposed to love. I can forgive like I'm supposed to forgive. I can bring glory to God like I could never do before. That's the beauty of salvation. And if you've never had your sins forgiven, if you've never turned to Jesus Christ, then I'd encourage you to do that today. But I want to speak, and as you probably picked up, I'm speaking primarily to the church today. I'm speaking prim primarily to the saved. 
don't be familiar with Jesus. Don't, don't allow his familiarity to be the, what, what is your Christianity. The, the, the most Christian thing you do is attend church on Sunday. Don't let that be the case. Christ is worth following every day. Every day. If you've been frustrated because you've toiled and toiled and taken nothing, maybe it's the why that needs to change. Maybe you need to start living by faith, living according to this word, and then see what happens. Then see what the Lord does with your life. He deserves preeminence in our lives. And I pray that in Jesus Christ, you find in him he who is far more valuable than anything here on this earth and what he has for you to be far more valuable than anything you could do on this earth.